0: Happy New Year, and welcome to the regular meeting of the Napa Valley Community College Board of Trustees.
1: We uh,
0: had no public comment on the closed session. We had some discussion in closed session,
2: and I'm here to report that we have actually done some hiring. We'll begin with the
0: classified administrator, vice president of administrative services, Robert W. Parker, I believe is in the room, start date February 1st, 2016, end date January 31st, 2020, step placement four on the vice president's salary schedule. Board of Trustees, in a five to one vote approved of his hiring, five in favor with Trustee Martinson dissenting. Welcome, Robert. I'd like to see you... Uh, I'd also like to announce the hiring of an associate degree nursing
2: instructor, temporary full-time leave replacement. Karen J. Lewis, are you in the room?
0: You have a start date of January 19th, so she's probably already working. End date, May 28, 2016. Step placement, step 11 on the contract regular faculty academic salary schedule. Welcome, Karen. Board of Trustees also approved the hiring of Ronnie Galindo as Campus Service Officer, acronym CSO, for full-time employment. Start date February 1st, 2016, step placement range 16.5, step B on the classified salary schedule. Are you here, Mr. Galindo? Welcome. Board of Trustees... uh, ratified full-time employment, for floor, Martin Del Campo, student services specialist, EOPS, CARE, CalWORKs program, start date February 1st, 2016, step placement, range 21, step A on the classified salary schedule.
2: Floor, Martin Del Campo, are you here this evening? Well, welcome. And this gentleman, I know he's in the
0: room because I just met him. Board of Trustees approved the full-time employment of Alfredo Hernandez, Student Services Specialist, Outreach. A start date: February 1st, 2016. Step placement range: 21. Step A on the Classified Salary Schedule.
2: Thank you for being here this evening,
3: Mr. Chair. Except as noted, all votes were unanimous.
2: That is correct.
3: Thank you.
0: That concludes our announcement of items from closed session. I ask you to please stand for the reciting of the Pledge of Allegiance. Dan DeGuardi. Thank you, Mr.
2: Chair. I pledge allegiance to the flag. We're at
0: uh, 4.3, the adoption of the agenda. There is one uh, known change, and that's the reorder of item 9.1. It's a presentation by David Morrison, the Director of Planning, Board of Supervisors, Napa, Napa County. Is there any other uh, changes? With those changes, Mr.
4: Chair, I would move that the minutes be approved, I mean, the agenda be approved.
5: I, would, I was going to ask if. There's some way we could put eleven point one and eleven point two together because they're related, and I, I can't. I kind of want to talk about them as a together. If there's some way we could do that, the non-resident tuition fees are also in the district fee schedule. So, I kind of, I don't know if there's a way to connect those somehow.
0: They're separate action items. Uh, is there any? Uh...
6: Any other comments from my fellow trustees? Um, I had a question about when the, um, the Board of Supervisors' presentation is being deferred to. Is that later in the evening, or is that to another meeting?
0: We're moving it uh, after public comment. Okay. Thank you. That's a good clarifying question.
7: My suggestion on eleven one, eleven two. and 11.2, you could discuss them as, as one item and then bifurcate the vote for each one?
2: Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. No movement there. Just that we're discussing them together. Thank you, Amy.
0: Do I hear a second? To, second. It's approved and probably seconded to uh, adopt the agenda as amended. All those in favor, signify by saying "aye." Aye. 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 Here we go. Uh, next up, public comment. Uh, this is your your time. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to fifteen minutes for comments to the board of trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to a three-minute presentation. you could do it in five, I'm happy. At this time, the board chair will pull those in attendance regarding their intent to speak on the item on the agenda. First, uh, Carolee, do we have any speaker cards? No. No speaker cards. Is there anyone in the audience that would like to take the podium? All right. I hereby uh, open and close the public comment section, moving to a reordered agenda item nine point one.
2: you might show Mr. Morrison where the the elevator is on that podium. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chair and members of the Board of Trustees. I appreciate
1: you inviting me here this evening. Uh, So um, I've been asked to give a fairly brief presentation on uh, just a collection of observations and facts and data about where NAPA is going in the future. And to do that, I also have to step back a little bit to show where we've been in the past in order to be able to contrast the two.
0: David, if I I may, uh, welcome, and and, uh, uh, we're, we're looking very much forward to your presentation here. Could you tell us a little bit of background about yourself?
1: I, I... Certainly. Um, the uh, so I've been I am currently the uh, director of planning, building, and environmental resources for uh, the county of Napa. I've been in that position for uh, not quite two years. Um, came here from Yolo County, where I was the planning director for uh, about 19 years, uh, and oversaw a number of projects uh, in in Yolo County. Um, before that, I also uh, spent four years down in Tulare County and another year at Fresno County. So I've been a planner for about 25 years now. Um, born and raised in Fresno. Uh, I've often joked that uh, going from Fresno to Tulare to Yellow to Napa just means I'm making the California agricultural circuit. Um, uh, I didn't intend to uh, to specialize in agricultural planning. I just kind of wound up here. Um, the, uh graduated from Fresno State, uh, did my undergrad in... Um, Anthropology, economics, and art. Uh, quickly realized that I couldn't get a job in anthropology, or, or anthropology or art. So focused on economics. Uh, briefly uh, attended UC Santa Barbara uh, for a doctoral school in economics. Decided I really didn't want to go into academia. No offense intended here. I just wasn't cut out for it. Um, and so went back to Fresno. Uh, got my master's degree in planning, and I've uh, gone on since. Um, Uh, I've spent about the last eight years uh, doing guest lecturing over at UC Davis uh, for three different professors, usually in issues of uh, land use and planning and agricultural protection. Um, I'm married. have a nine-year-old son who I just found out that um, Napa College is doing a production of Guys and Dolls. My nine-year-old just saw Guys and Dolls for the first time three weeks ago. He's been in a very much a gangster mood. Now I guess I'm going to have to go buy tickets for the performance. Um, So that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I don't think I'm interesting enough to continue on beyond that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so the uh, title for the presentation I chose tonight was The Ground Beneath Our Feet, and um, for two reasons. One is that, obviously, what makes Napa special is its wine, and what makes the wine special is the terroir. And so the ground beneath our feet is a lot of reasons why we're here. And certainly as the director of planning, it's a major uh, focus of my efforts in terms of trying to protect agriculture and keep it from being developed and Napa being subsumed into the greater Bay Area metropolitan area. But the other meaning of that is that as we all clearly found out on August 2014, the ground beneath our feet shifts. It's not solid. It moves. And in the case of Napa County, it's moving much faster, and I think some of us may really be uh, ready for or appreciate. So there is a great uh, illustration of this, and some of you may have already seen that. It's been making the rounds lately. And I'm going to have to ask fairly again, which are the video.
2: Um, I apologize for this. I'd hoped to embed it, and I'm not technologically capable of that. That was it, okay. So this is a, just to introduce it, this is a news report
1: from uh, Channel 5, San Francisco. In 1972, about Napa, Yeah, some of you I think have already seen it, um and it uh is not unlike what we hear today. It'll take
2: about
8: three minutes, take your indulgence. The beauty of green vineyards stretching in what seemed to be endless, immaculately groomed road back to tree bedecked hills sitting like fat loaves of bread is a Napa Valley experience familiar to many people in fact. To hundreds of thousands of people each summer alone in recent years. And while a valley welcome sign retains its intent, as do the scores of individual winery signs backing it up with the same message, the number of people taking advantage of what this valley has to offer is approaching the problem stage. There is no longer a tourist season here. Summer weekends continue as the days of greatest migration to winery and tasting room, but you can now find full parking lots all year round. It presents something of a bittersweet situation to the winery. Visitors are an obvious public relation, to a lesser degree, sales value for them. Yet the question remains of whether or not the number of visitors approaching the half-million mark last summer begin to present a problem instead of a benefit. Well, that has been discussed among the various wineries, and uh, we have not reached any conclusion. It is a fact that whatever controls, as you choose to call them, are instituted must be practiced by all of the wineries in the valley. If we were to control this uh, this plant and um, it was not universal in the valley, uh, obviously uh, people would be unhappy about our particular facility. Highway 29, which bisects the valley, can offer a drive of almost unparalleled rural serenity or, as on some summer weekends, a Napa Valley version of the Bay Shore during rush hour. Somehow restricting the number of people who visit the wineries by charging admission, for instance, is a subject generally repellent to winery owners and operators. But now, with the constantly increasing size of the crowds who flock to the valley, it is a subject at least gingerly mentioned from time to time. Yes and
9: no. Uh...
4: Yes in the fact that the more people you get, uh, you have to be able to treat them politely, be very courteous, and have wines available for them to taste. And no in the fact that if the people who were coming to visit the wineries was not as
8: great as it is today, we'd be complaining. We'd be saying, gee, we don't have enough tourists. Those who are expert in such matters say the Napa Valley produces some of the best wine produced in the world. Nationally, wine sales have nearly tripled in the past six years, America goes through a boom in purchase of and interest in wine. Neither of these facts is likely to do anything but increase the number of people who want to and do go to the Napa Valley to sample its product. The cliche for the situation is too much of a good thing. It is something those in the valley are learning to live with and hope to eventually resolve. Pat O'Brien for Eyewitness News in the Napa Valley. So...
2: The, um, so, in 1972, we were looking at half a million visitors and problems that
1: hopefully will get resolved. Well, it's 40 years later, we still haven't resolved the problems. The problems change. The people change. The way we perceive those problems change. But they're always problems. We just, um, and, and that's okay. That's, the, that's a sign of a healthy, functioning society. So, in order to talk about the future... The only people who see the future are the ones who step out of the frame. So we need to step out of the frame of what we're usually talking about. So I'm going to talk about things you may not have paid as much attention to. Let's start with demographics. Napa's grown by 28% since 1990. It's only going to grow 15% in the next 25 years. We're still growing. The rate of growing is slowing. But notice in 1990, whites made up over 80% of the population in Napa. Currently, it's 53%. By 2040, it could be 49%. 40.9%. 40.9%. By 2060, there will be as many whites today, or at that time, there will be as many whites in 2060 as there are Hispanics today. The nature of Napa is changing and fairly quickly. But also note the fairly high, uh, the increasing numbers of Asian Pacific Islanders. By 2040, uh, there will be a minority majority county. Now, we're seeing this throughout California. Napa is no different than uh, a lot of places are experiencing that. Growing up in Fresno, there are already numerous communities I'm familiar with where that happened 10 years ago. But that's not the only change we're seeing. Looking at age, the number of senior citizens is growing. The number of children is shrinking. In 1990, there were 1.5 children for every senior citizen. By 2040, there will be 1.2 seniors for every child. There will be no more demand for hospices, for senior care facilities, than there will be for daycare in elementary schools. That's a fundamental shift in how we think about it. For a college... As you notice, the ages for uh, people between 5 and 17 goes down from 16.6 to 15.8 to 14.6. By 26, you'll be about 13%. You're the, the traditional college student coming in out of high school, that population is going to continue to shrink as a, as a potential customer base,
10: while the number of seniors is
1: going to, to in, uh, going to continue to incrementally grow. Again, who we are, who we've been, we've added 30,000 people since 1990. 10,000 of those are people who weren't born in the United States. Not a good thing or a bad thing. In fact, I welcome the kind of interesting perspective and diversity that people like that bring. But it is acknowledgment of that Napa, who Napa was in 1990, is not who we are today and is not who we're going to be in the next 20 years. This isn't to uh, pick winners and losers or call good or bad people. It's just to say, this is what's happening. The question is, how do we fix it? How do we, how do we deal with it? How do we address it? Over the last 25 years, we've added 30,000 new people to Napa. Everybody complains about traffic. You think 30,000 new residents may have possibly contributed to traffic? We've added 26,000 homes, 21,000 jobs, 800,000 more tourists. You know, again, that 1972 thing, up to a half million people are coming through Napa. This is a problem. Is it ever going to be fixed? We're at 3.3 million. And we've added 230 new wineries. Again, the reasons why people come here. In the next 25 years, we're going to add another 21,000 people. That's essentially the size of American Canyon. Where are we going to put a new American Canyon in that? Oakville? Penguin? We're going to add another 6,000 houses. Where are those going to go? 19,000 jobs, 12,000 new cars, and 150 new wineries. So that's going to create pressures on water availability, farmland protection, traffic, housing, climate change, and habitat preservation. Those are significant issues. That the county and the residents in general need to face and deal with. We need to make sure that we plan for the next generation so they can have the same
2: benefits that we benefit from, from the people who before us who did the work. Let's talk about housing for a second. Vineyards are priced at four to five hundred thousand dollars an acre. Coming from Yolo County, where prime
1: farmland was fifteen thousand dollars an acre, to see that kind of price is phenomenal. It's amazing that ag land can be that valuable. In Fresno County, prime ag land is maybe $5,000 an acre. Napa is incredibly blessed to have such a high value of ag land. But what some people think is that because the value is so high, it can never it, it's immune to development. And I want to say that's simply not true. As expensive as, as Napa Valley farmland is, it is pittance compared to development prices. I, I haven't had a chance to update these particular numbers, but just in the last year, if you're in the East Bay, Developable land is going for a million dollars an acre. If you're on the peninsula, land is going for three to five million dollars an acre, right now. Um, I was at a meeting of the uh, vintners about a year ago, had about 150 winery owners. I asked the assembled group, "Is there anybody in this room who is not going to sell their land for five million dollars an acre? Because at that price, you can sell your current winery, build a really good winery up in Kennewick or in Kentucky or in the." hills outside of Austin or Virginia, build a great winery and still put 20 or $30 million in the bank. One person raised their hand. I said, that, people, that is the last winery in Napa. The area generates huge economic demands, demands that are far can overwhelm even the tremendously successful economy we have here in Napa. As an example, before I left YOLO, one of the last projects I was working on, didn't get a chance to finish, unfortunately, was a new town proposal for um, 10,000 new homes in uh, the town of Dunnigan. By the way, in Sacramento, a 10,000 new home project is considered very small to moderate. The big projects are the twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 home projects, a project, not a city. Um, so we're looking at a 10,000 home new project. And just the infrastructure cost of that project alone, not even talking about building the houses or the stores the industry or the schools, just the infrastructure, sewer water, roads, and storm water, was a half a billion dollars. That's what the investors were going to be putting up. Even in Napa, a half a billion dollars is... Real money. By Bay Area standards, is affordable. This is painful for me. Um, I sold my house in West Sacramento for $228,000 at a loss and then turned around and had to buy a house here for $500,000. Being an equity refugee from the Bay Area where you can cash out and then go into uh, Lodi and Merced and buy a big house and put money in the bank is great. Swimming the other way as a salmon is very, very painful. And yet, Napa is cheap. Average price, this is right out of November from uh, two months ago. Average, the median price in Napa is about a little under $700,000. Huge anywhere else in the country outside of New York City. But in the Bay Area, it's half of what the price is in San Francisco or San Mateo. If you're coming from the peninsula, you're going, wow, Napa's really affordable. In fact, I was talking to a, a winery owner who was coming here from Fremont, Union City. And we were sitting there, and he's talking about the new winery he's going to build, the new house he and his uh, fiance are building. And he's saying, you know, I really love Napa. It's so beautiful. We really like the quality of life. And I don't understand why more people don't move here. It's so cheap. Um, so while many of us struggle to deal with the price of housing here, in the other nine counties, they look at this as an opportunity, not as a barrier. We have enough homes for our employees. For In planning standards, you generally want 1.5 jobs for every home. Uh, not all wives work. Not all spouses work. Many of them do. So if you have, have one-point jobs for every house in a community, generally you're assumed to have a jobs-housing balance where people can live and work in the same community. We have enough homes. Again, these numbers are right out of uh, this past year. Uh, American Canyons already at 1.6. Everybody else is between 1 and 1. 1.3. Uh, now, remember, the jobs are being taken from the point of November, which is a fairly low employment season. Uh, if you are taken these same numbers during summer, during the height of the winery season, harvest and, and wine tasting, we'd be pretty much at 1.5 across the board. So we have enough jobs for the people who, live in, who already work here in Napa, but they can't afford them. The median income is five figures. The, needed, the income you need to buy a house here in Napa is six figures. That's a problem. We have houses, but, but, nobody can, the, but the jobs and the wages that we have can't afford the houses we have,
2: which is why so many people commuting. About 30% of our traffic are people commuting in because they can't afford to live here. In addition, because
1: we are a tourist destination, because of the tremendously successful quality of life we have, a number of people like living here part time. So, if we have a very expensive housing and we have um, high demand for housing, why do we have such high vacancy rates? Because they're not really vacant. What they are is they're, they're homes that people own, but they're not their primary residence, their second residences or their vacation homes. So, these are roughly 6,000 units that aren't available to families who live here and work here. Because they're just only occupied six weeks a year. That's fine. Nothing illegal or immoral or unethical about that. But it does. we have a very limited housing stock. Nobody's talking about building vast tracts of new housing in Napa. And that limited stock, we're taking a big chunk of it for people who aren't here all the time. Let me take a second to talk about that. There's been a lot of discussion and debate about Airbnb. As a planner... um, the issue with that is it's erosive to communities. Um, if you're in a neighborhood where half the people, half the homes there are being rented out for a night or are vacation homes, there's not neighbors to talk to. There's not anybody watching your house if you're not there on vacation. There's not kids for your kids to play with. The streets are empty. You're losing the community from within. As that happens, as that increases, you start losing local businesses. The, lo- the, the, uh, the person who does uh, haircutting, can't stay in business because there aren't people who come and be customers. The local hardware store runs out. You start losing local businesses because people don't live in the community anymore, except on a part-time basis. This is a real issue, and one that a lot of, uh, especially coastal counties across the state, are struggling to deal with right now. Over the next 25 years, we need to add 6,000 houses, which conveniently is what we have in terms of vacancy right now. But we can't just go around confiscating people's vacation homes and turn them over to working families. So where do we put, you know, I know some people are laughing going, why not? Um, the, uh, where do we put all these houses? Uh, nobody, none, none of the cities are actually looking at growing. I mean, American Canyon has Watson Ranch, but after Watson Ranch, there isn't a lot more proposed. Where do we put the homes? Let me move on to tourism, and I'm going kind to of bring all this back, tie it up, hopefully. Uh, make it coherent. For the last 25 years, Napa County's Use the WDO, the Winery Definition Ordinance, and has provided a very stable tripod. The county needs agriculture to keep farming profitable, profitable enough to keep Napa from becoming part of the Bay Area. We don't want to be Walnut Grove or Dublin or Pleasanton, all very nice communities, but that's not what Napa wants to be. Without a strong, you know nature pours a vacuum, without a strong economic presence, the presence of winery and tourism here in that vacuum development will pour in, and pretty soon Napa will be full of, housing tracts that talk about Chardonnay Acres and a park that says, you know, uh, Cabernet Park. It, it, they'll name everything after the stuff that doesn't exist here anymore. Cities need agriculture because the cities are dependent upon hospitality. And without that, without the wineries, without the agriculture, without the scenic vistas, tourists don't come. And the cities need those tourists. And I'll get to that in a second. Both agriculture and the cities need the county, not only to manage land use development, to keep it pretty, keep the scenic beauty, but also to make sure that the basic foundations of growth in terms of water and roads and air quality and climate change can be, are being supported. Agriculture and the county need the cities. The county does not want to build hotels and restaurants. The cities do. So the tourism goes in the cities, not in the county. So all three, the city, the county, and agriculture all need each other. How big is our local economy? I mean, we think we're a big deal. Um, we are the wine, one of the wine capitals, if not the wine capital of the world. In terms of nationally... We're 200. We're not even in the top 200. Napa's about the same size as Sioux City, Iowa, or Lynchburg, Virginia, Macon, Georgia. We're big, but yeah, you know, not that big, really. What is interesting in this table is that of these uh, uh, 10 MSAs listed, Napa's the smallest. We hit well above our weight. For being such a small community, we generate a lot of economic development here. How do we compare it to other wine regions? Again, pretty favorably. Uh, If you look at population, we're about the same size as the Palisades area outside of Grand Junction or the Finger Lakes area in Ithaca, but we do double the amount of business that they do, even though we're about the same population. In fact, as far as GDP go, we do about as much business as Kennewick or San Luis Obispo, which are almost twice the size of Napa. So, again, that's really favorable to how Napa is able to generate so much uh, wealth out of such a fairly small area and population. As I was saying earlier... Tourism is important to cities. Yonville gets 70% of its budget from the hotel. 70%. If people don't go to Yonville and stay at hotels, Yonville goes bankrupt. That's a short way of putting it. Calistoga is not much farther behind. Half of Calistoga's revenue, half of what pays for the police and the parks and the accountants and everything else, Napa isn't as dependent, but the city of Napa gets about a quarter of its money from hotel tax. St. Helena and American Canyon get very little, while St. Helena is currently looking at building several hotels in order to increase the revenue because they need the, they need the money. So hotel tax is very important to cities. On the ranking, that's within the entire state. The city of Napa, in terms of the $15.2 million they got in 2014, that was the 19th highest in the state. I'm talking about comparing it with Anaheim. San Francisco, Monterey, Santa Barbara. Napa is number 19 in the state of California. It's less important to the county. The county gets about 2% of its revenue from transient occupancy tax, hotel tax. We have several hotels. Part of that is it's a little misleading because counties have such an overly inflated budget because we get all this money transferred down to us from the state for corrections and unemployment and job training and health care. And so it, it is a little misleading. But generally it's a, not as big a deal for the county. Uh, on the table on the right, again, notice that this is hotel tax just within the incorporated area. Napa's sixth in the state, right behind Sonoma and Mariposa. Of course, Mariposa's getting most of theirs from Yosemite. Um, if you look at the entire TOT, both the county and the cities together, Napa's tenth largest. Again, we get about as much hotel tax as Alameda or Monterey or you know, San Mateo, a lot bigger counties than us. So again, Napa is an important player California is the biggest state in the union and one of the biggest, most wealthiest countries on the planet. And Napa is a very big player within the state of California in this particular area. Let's look at employment. These are the 11th largest employers in Napa. Five of them are government. So whenever we talk about wineries, remember five of the biggest employment employers are government. There's only one winery and one hotel in that list. But if you look at industry-wide, Look at all the employees put together. 14% of everybody who's employed in Napa is employed in the leisure hospitality industry. If you add beverage manufacturing, i.e., wineries, that's about uh, 20-25%. A quarter of everybody is either employed in wineries or in tourism today. By 2040, right now, one in four employees in Napa work in in wineries or tourism. By 2040, that number would be one in three. The amount of uh, government is shrinking. As are a number of other industrial area fields. This is what Napa is, and where it will likely be for the forthcoming future. Um, you know, farming, which is also a part of that, is six percent. Although we talk about ourselves being an agricultural area, we are essentially a tourism and area. I heard when I got here two years ago, he told me Napa is the most heavily visited place in California. I said, No, it's not. <laughs> uh, you want to tell yourself that? Be my guest. 3.3 million people came to Napa last year. That's not much less than what came to, to the San Francisco Giants. And, the San Francisco, and AT&T Park is much smaller than the Napa Valley. Disneyland gets 17 million people a year. If you want to add California Adventures, it gets 25 million people a year. But still, Napa Valley is probably in the top 20 in terms of tourist attractions for the state of California. What, the one that always kills me is the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. 15 million people. Um... Uh, it's the most heavily, one of the most heavily, in effect, it is the heavily used national park area in the state, in the country. Um, but again, Napa is, isn't is even close to what theme parks and other, Sandy, uh, Old Town San Diego State Park, 8 million people a year, 7 to 8
2: million people a year. We're a big draw, but not that big. Uh, the amount of wine has doubled in the last, in the last 20 years. years. Uh,
1: the blue line is the amount that's. Um, prevented the red line of the bottle that is, is about to be bottled. We're bottling twice as much as we did 20 years ago. In terms of bonded wineries, not all wineries, but in terms of bonded, so the bonded wineries are a subset. In terms of bonded wineries, those have doubled in the last 20 years. We expect them to continue. There doesn't seem to be much of a ceiling in terms of future growth for wineries in California, in Napa Valley. 60% of the hotel guests come from California. You know, people talk about all those, those tourists coming in here and mucking everything up. Most of them are our neighbors here in the Bay Area, day trips, uh, another, uh, about 45%. Another 15% of them are from Southern California. So by the vast majority of the people who are coming here are coming here from California. We have in Napa Valley, again, cities and counties together, we have 150 hotels, 5,000 rooms, another 2,000. What do you think the growth industry is? The occupancy rate for those are 80%. My mother worked in the hotel industry briefly for a while trying to support us. Um, Most hotels would kill to have an 80% rate during the good season. Napa averages 80% all year long in terms of occupancy rates. And just the hotels' stays themselves generated $1.2 billion in 2014. We talk about winery, we talk about farms. A billion dollars, again, is not small change. The wine industry is changing. Notice I use the generic wine bottle. I'm not going to favor any particular brand here. Um, direct-to-consumer, where you don't go through BevMo and Costco and Safeway. You sell the wine directly to the, to the customer, which we're all familiar with, with Amazon and, and Etsy and, and uh, Maker and eBay. We do, all this, we do this all the time anymore. 20 years ago, it was unheard of. Now direct-to-consumer is increasingly the way it is. $2 billion last year. $1 billion of that just came from Napa. Half of all the wine shipped in the United States. And, and last year, that accounted for a billion dollars in sales. Most of that is coming from relatively small wineries. Most of that is being shipped to California, again, our neighbors. So if you look at wine by volume in terms of number of bottles, Napa is 32% of that. By value, it's 50%. Because the high price of Napa wines, so Napa ships as much as the entire re- as the rest of the entire country combined. and most of the bottle, most of what's being shipped is thirty dollars a bottle. We always talk about the hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollar bottles of wine. Most of what's being shipped is thirty dollars and under. Move on to traffic. Not a lot on this because the data is still not as developed as I'd like it to be. Over half the traffic, everybody complains about traffic. Oh, it took me 45 minutes to get from Calistoga down to Napa. The uh, Silverado Trail is all clogged up. Jameson Ranch is a mess. Half of all the traffic in Napa is us. You, me, they have people in this room going to work, going to taking our kids to school, going to the doctor, picking some stuff, buying groceries. It's us. And again, we've added 30,000 people in the last 20 years. Of course it's us. About 10% of the traffic is people who don't live or work here in Napa. They live in Sonoma and work in Solano, or live in Solano and work in Sonoma. They're just passing, they're just cutting through Napa. They're adding to our roadways, but they have, no, they have no, nothing invested here. We're just a convenient shortcut connecting their work and home. About 16% of the traffic is people coming in to the county to work. Again, people who can't afford to live here. 11% is people who live in Napa but have a job someplace else, I still haven't quite figured that part out. But about 10% are visitors. These are one-way trips coming into Napa, not leaving on the same day. Assume that most of that is probably uh, tourism. Where are people commuting in from? Mostly Solano. It's affordable. Uh, also some from Lake and Sonoma and Contra Costa. But you see, we get people coming in from as far away as Placer, El Dorado, a lot from Alameda. Some people have very long commutes. Where are people going Mostly to Solano, Contra Costa, Sonoma, Alameda. Uh, this is from the county general plan. On the left is the um, so there in traffic. There's called level of service. Um, level of service A is when you can drive at speed 55 miles an hour or higher on a freeway. There's nobody in front of you. You never have to stop, slow down, change lanes. It's 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 the American dream. You know it's a it's a <laughs> Nevada highway in the middle of the night. You can do whatever you want. You can drive wherever you want. Level of service F is. Um, the Orange Freeway in L.A. on 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon on a three-day weekend. You know, you're going to go one mile in two hours. So the red areas are levels of service E or F, congestion. On the left is where Napa was in 2005. We're already at that level in several the road segments. On the right is where Napa is going to be in 2030. Not a whole lot, really, we can do about it, to be honest with you. We build another road, although... Numerous studies have shown you just build capacity. It fills up within about a year. Um, We're looking at trying to see how we manage the traffic. But as long as Napa continues to grow, as long as we continue to have kids and the kids want to move here, as long as people continue to move here, as long as people continue to work here, we're going to continue to grow. As long as we continue to grow, bottom line is traffic is going to get worse. We can look at paratransit. We can look at possible commuting with the wine train and doing other types of more creative ways of dealing of how we deal with traffic. But it's just gonna to continue to get worse, just like it does everywhere else in California. There is no magic wand here, folks. So twenty five years ago the winery definition ordinance was adopted. It may seem like a long time ago. George Bush was president. The Dow Jones was at twenty seven hundred. Of course if it keeps up, it might be back at twenty seven hundred any day now. Gold was four hundred dollars so an ounce, it's currently eleven hundred. There was a United, there was a USSR, there was an East Germany. It seems like a long time ago. Some of you, I know this is all new because you were born yet. Nelson Mandela was still in prison. This is my favorite. The World Wide Web was in beta testing. There was no internet. It was still DARPA. The top movie was Home Alone. The Oakland A's were in the World Series. Joe Montana was in the Super Bowl. Grapes were selling for $1,600 a ton. 2040 is as far in the future as 1990 was in the past. If you remember 1990, you can envision 2040. The children who are in kindergarten, all these things I've been talking about, Children today who are in kindergarten will live to see this by the time they're 30. This isn't science fiction. This isn't some far-off Star Wars, Star Trek kind of uh, utopia or dystopia. These are things that our kids are going to see and deal with. What are we going to do about it? That's our responsibility. We're not the kids. We're the adults. What are we going to do to make the world a better place for the next generation? That's what we need to work on. The best way to predict your future is to create it. I also include this because... Abraham Lincoln had a saloon license. He sold wine for twenty-five cents a glass, so he was also a wine seller. Thank you very much. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. And I appreciate the very generous time you've given me.
4: Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, David. This is uh, unprecedented. Uh, I appreciate the cooperation, the county, has uh, allowed and. I'm on straight salary. This there's no overtime here. <laughs> All right, that's good. All right. Yes, yeah, Amy, go yeah, ahead, I was please. actually
5: wondering. You mentioned that we could look at the. Um, Commuting using the wine train could could you talk a little bit about that
1: um, it's been 's been suggested or 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 uh, the possibility has been thrown out there that um the wine train, besides carrying customers could also carry tourists or carry uh, employees to their jobs um, when that subject first came up, I admit I was fairly skeptical trains are lucky if, I mean, for bus, most bus systems, if they're lucky, get a 10 or 11 percent, 15 percent return on their box. You have to subsidize buses about 85 percent. Trains is even worse. It's like 5 percent. The only profitable train route in the United States is the Bosch-Wash corridor on Amtrak, um, as far as commuter rail goes. But um so I was fairly skeptical about the ability of the wine train to be able to move people from, uh, say, the ferry, built, the ferry building down in Vallejo up to, up to the employment centers. But in talking, right now the county's in the process of redoing its circulation element, uh, setting policy and projects for the next uh, 25 years through its general plan. And in talking with our consultants, they said, we think it might actually could work. Um, I have heard recently, and somebody in this room may know better and can correct me, that um, the wine train has even started to offer um, additional train trips in the morning and the afternoon for people who want to take it in order to get to jobs in St. Helena and, and up the valley. So um, it would really be a question of whether that can be built upon, whether they can have a significant impact, what the costs are, whether they would have to be subsidized by the wine industry. Would it would just be a way of, in, again, it's not going to be a panacea, but a way of incrementally removing some of the traffic from Highway 29 and trying to spread out the traffic so it's not all in single occupancy vehicles, but spread out amongst the broader folk, uh, spectrum of uh, transportation, including train, including bicycle, the vine trail, including paratransit like carpool and carpool, car vans. Calistoga is starting to embark later this year on a very interesting program to provide uh, car vans for the employers up at the resorts there. Those are the kind of things we're going to – these aren't going to solve the problem. They may not make a huge dent in it, but at least they will make an improvement in it, and that's really what we're looking to do. Uh, and we're, very frankly, open to any idea that might actually help the pro- some of the problems just so that – again, traffic isn't as bad as it is in most part of the of California. It's much worse than people would like it to be here. But, again, it's not the 680 – not trying to get across the Bay Bridge. Um, But you don't wait for problems to become horrendous before you try and solve them. You try and solve them ahead of time. And so that's really what we're looking at doing. And the wine train may prove to be a a, a valuable component of that overall piece of the puzzle.
0: David, as as projects push forward here in in Napa, the incorporated and unincorporated the county areas, they they seem to be up against that, that ceiling of three to five stories. And you're talking about, another American canyon, uh, what are your thoughts on going vertical? And if I may continue as as uh, uh, having benefited by travel throughout the world as far as wine country and, and so on and so forth, agriculture is uh, most other parts of the world, particularly Europe, is, is concentrated, and, uh, and then most of the people live in the cities, and you see why uh, th- this isn't country to Certainly, to you from Tulare County or anywhere else, it's
1: it's uh, it's something else. It, it is something else. It's a, it's a good observation. Um, well, it's still at least it, it is it is agriculture. It's just a very specialized type of agriculture. Um, the um, uh, I think that uh, certainly is the way that California is going um, for the past several years. Um, the governor's office of planning. Uh, has been working on extensively uh, rewriting CEQA, uh, the, especially the checklist and other um, thresholds, uh, general plan guidelines. Um, this is, there's, a, there's a significant movement at the state level to push very hard for what's called smart growth, which is um, high-density development along transit corridors, linking jobs and housing to get people out of their cars. Um, going, uh, having more vertical development is an essential part of that. Um, the uh, as an example the state requires each jurisdiction to plan how they're going to accommodate their fair share of affordable housing and um, the way the state defines that is 20 units per acre so there, you can't do single family detached homes at 20 units per acre so the state is really uh, through various incentives and disincentives requiring cities and counties to move towards a, dense, a more dense development um, certainly in Napa with the Ag Preserve with the limits on cities being able to sprawl out into the ag preserve, with the limits on the county, um, if we are going to continue to grow, it's going to have to be up. Uh, I don't think it's inevitable. Thank you. It's the only way to provide any kind of housing in addition at a price point that people are going to be able to afford if they want to, if they can also work here.
11: Yes, Joanne. I, I'm sure you're aware of the the group that was uh, promoting light rail several years back, you've probably seen those studies. Your consultants are working with that in terms of your updating of the, uh, uh, your circulation element. Um, you know, it, it, of course, again, it goes back to, it took us 30 years to widen Jameson Canyon uh, because of the fear, the fear of, uh, you know, the fear of growth. And, um as you're probably also aware, there's a group of, of uh, all aspects of housing development from realtors to developers to look, trying to look at all the available land that potentially could be used. And then in this morning's chronicle, this village that, that Sonoma is, uh, is recreating based on the one in, in uh, Oregon, the, the, tiny, the tiny home uh, concept. I actually saw a tiny home built on a trailer on Coombe Street, and uh, according to regulation, uh, you know they can move that thing every three days, and somebody can you know, can live out of it. So the, some of these concepts that seem pretty wild, based on you know how we've uh, how we've grown, but I think that the other the other que- question I had is the related to the. Winery ordinance, is, is that packaged uh, with, uh, I mean, you've shown the additional wineries that are going to be, it'll grow over the next uh, 20 years or so. you feel like that that's where it needs to be, or is that, again, the, where it needs to be for right now?
1: We've been working with um, the public and, and industry and, other, and the cities and other groups on uh, taking a hard look at the winery definition ordinance and seeing where it needs to be, um, if it needs to be improved, and if so, in what way. That's been going on for nearly a year now. Uh, the county formed its Agricultural Protection Advisory Committee last March. Um, the advisory committee completed its work in September, uh, forwarded their planning, their recommendations to the Planning Commission, who forwarded those recommendations to the board in November, and the board discussed them both this December and January. That's still a very uh, ongoing discussion. Uh, I think that it... There will be some uh, uh, relatively minor but significant reforms coming out of that that uh, will set the pace. Will set the stage for future wineries. Um, future wineries provide a really important um, uh, dynamism and innovation for the wine industry. It's really easy for any industry to get calcified. Um, global market is changing so rapidly, and um, it needs that competition from the bottom to uh, keep it on its toes and fresh and not to get, uh, uh, because Napa, there, there are a dozen wine regions around the planet that would kill to be Napa and are trying to do that right now. And so the industry has to, I mean, has to, it needs the competition in order to keep its competitive edge and new wineries entering in is the way of doing that. So I think it's healthy to have new new wineries come in. Um, there are concerns about the impacts of those and I think that we are, I think we will have some additional uh guidelines and regulations by the end of the year to help address some of that. Tiny houses, uh, two, three years ago, I talked to a, a large developer of tiny houses down in Lodi about that. It's interesting because they're not really houses. They're technically recreational vehicles um, under, under state code. Um, I think there's a trueness, uh potential for those. Uh, my best friend is looking at moving into one, he and his wife. Um, and uh, I'll be interested to see whether the Reality actually meets the potential, but I think it could be a really useful tool for a lot of communities, especially with regards to the homeless populations. Um, as far as the light rail, um, if there is, it's probably going to be something like, it's going to be the wine train or something equivalent to, the, to that. Um, again, I, my own skepticism, having lived and sat in the Sacramento area for 20 years, uh, a new uh, each new mile of light rail is $10 million.
2: Um,
1: and that's just the construction cost. That's not even operational. Um, Sacramento has been, for the last 20 years, has been wanting to build an extension of its light rail system out to the airport and it's just such a massive undertaking in cost that it, that um, it, light rail is one of those ideas that really sounds great, but the economic realities of it just aren't there yet. If we were at European densities, as as Mr. Baldini implied, we'd have a much better goal, but because the United States is still relatively not very concentrated, it's just really hard to make the economics work without significant public investment. But there's also Costs and consequences of that, having spent most of my life in the Central Valley up until two years ago when I came here, um, frankly, the idea of the bullet train scares the hell out of me. Um, because, and we're painfully aware of that, if you can go from Fresno to LA in an hour, all you're doing is now making Fresno Santa Clarita. Mm-hmm. And, Fre- and the farmland, some of the best farmland of the world, is going to get paved over very, very fast. Uh, because everybody's going to be, it just opens up a new opportunity for commute, for, for suburbs. Um, it expands the area out this suburb area out for the major metropolitan areas in San Francisco and Fresno, and um, it is just going to put much more development pressure on the area that produces most of the food for the rest of the United states and that 's not grain or, or meat and uh, so um you know I have a lot of concerns about the about the uh, high speed rail because development does follow transportation corridors absolutely
12: thank you david uh great Great presentation, and I'm just curious i I represent uh the board from America canyon, and uh some of the data that you brought up is are things that we talk about all the time, and uh you know where you showed us having for housing versus the ratio of jobs yeah. and it seems like a pretty picture but. uh but right. So when you're talking about those, you know, those wages that are being paid, yeah. you're talking about some of the housing issues, uh, just the various uh, data, you know, some of the data that you presented based on growth and, and some actual figures, are there any uh, key initiatives or are there any suggestions that are being,
1: you know, batted around about here's where we should start? That's a very good question. Thank you. Um, uh, two answers to that. One is the um, uh, the issue of uh, winery development has been a very um, controversial and time-consuming one. Uh, and so really for most of the last uh, 20, 22 months that I've been in the job, I've had to focus on that. My goal is to try and wrap up the discussion on wineries um, in the next uh, six to eight months so I can move on to the issues of transportation of traffic and Housing, which I think are the really key challenges. Winery is an important... Uh, regulation of the wine industry is an important issue. It's not, to me, is not the all-consuming one. Um, but it is one that the county needs to take care of because it has created somewhat of a, a civil war within the unincorporated area that we need to settle so that we can move on to the more bigger picture. In terms of that bigger picture, historically there's been, if not antipathy, there's been certainly a lack of cooperation between the cities and the county. and um, I think there's going to be a a, uh, a bigger effort towards uh, by the county to reach out to the cities to work with them as partners, not as not as um, uh, competitors. And I think there's an openness to that amongst many of the city councils to that. Um, and so I, I no, right now there is nothing specifically to hang the hat on. But I think the process of talking about what could what we could do is starting, and it may just take a while for that to germinate. Um, but uh, the uh, the other part of that is. I something I didn't touch upon. But um political power follows voters. To the extent that we have development in the in county, let's be honest, the development is not going to happen in Calistoga and St. Helena. We're adding twenty thousand people. not going to be up Valley. It's going to be in American Canyon. It's going to be in South Napa. So by twenty twenty, by twenty thirty, by twenty forty, the as far as the supervisorial districts for the county, those are going to continue to get pulled south. And so Right now, most of the wineries up valley have one di- supervisor, the um, third district supervisor, currently Diane Dillon. In 10, 20, 30 years, that district will probably be at least half people living within Napa. And so, at the county level, the wine industry, the farming community, is, as, as more and more people move into Napa County, as, and most of which is going to be urban, the wineries and agricultural industry is going to be a smaller and smaller percentage of the voting public. And so it's really important as a two-way street, both for the wineries and the, ag- and the farmers, to reach out to the cities and to show how they are relevant. Because otherwise, people in cities aren't going to know about agricultural issues, aren't going to care about preservation, aren't going to care about the environment, aren't going to care about open space. They're going to be focused on city issues. And so that they run the risk of becoming increasingly irrelevant because political power doesn't follow land, it follows people. Similarly, the cities, have to, uh, the, the cities will increasingly, I hope, reach out to the um, rural areas and talk about partnerships. And, and the two have a lot to learn from each other, to have a lot to benefit from each other, as I indicated earlier in terms of the tripod. I'm just worried that over time those lines of communications will fail and people will just become increasingly isolated and not understand the needs of others and just become a dominant feature where agriculture becomes irrelevant or becomes uh, anachronism or becomes a, a park and isn't really a functioning industry anymore. Um, we see that all the time. I, as a kid, I had, we had family friends living in Morgan Hill. We went there for the cherries. Went, it's not gone. It's all gone. And um, and Napa can, if Napa doesn't, both the cities and the county, because it takes both, doesn't continue to aggressively protect the ag reserve, then we will lose that, and we will become just this one, one, one urbanized landscape. Um, and I don't think anybody's going to win it that in that Scenario. So um, I think it's all it, the political aspects of population shifts are really, really important and uh, will have an increasing impact, I think, in future elections as, as redistricting occurs every 10 years. So I think, I think the cities and counties need each other. I don't think they have needed each other in the past or they've not recognized that, but I think that most places around the country and the world are organizing along regional boundaries. The, world, the globalization, the globalized economy has gotten so big that an individual city or county is too small now to matter. So Napa, the Napa region, including the cities, to some extent including Solanos and, and Sonoma, who are providing us our workers, is competing against the region of Bordeaux, the region of Santiago in Chile, the region of Rioja in Spain. Not cities competing against cities. You know, we, the, the, the 1980s mentality of you know, Pittsburgh's going to steal this one employer from Atlanta and the, you know cities poaching from each other for jobs is now regional. It's been regionalized. That's why groups like ABAG uh, and, and SACOG and um, uh, 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 SCAG down in Southern California regions are are integrating economically because we're just on a bigger scale with global economies. And Napa can't no longer can no longer afford to be um, isolationist. And it can no longer afford to be uh, independent parts not working. We have to work together, or we will be um, outcompeted by other areas. So I think that that discussion and that dialogue is, is really, really critical, and I hope that in the next year, we're going to see a lot more of it. Uh,
6: Mr. Morrison... I think the college
1: has a, can play an important role in that. The college is just as much of a player in that as the cities and county. I'm sorry.
6: Didn't uh, uh, Mr. Morrison, I had a question um, regarding the, the change in the age population. So, uh, As projected, the younger, younger populations decreasing and the older populations increasing in the valley, and I was wondering what the projections look like, if there are any for the income distribution among those workers and what that would look like in an ever-increasingly integrated Bay Area, seeing this, since we're one of the cheaper uh, parts of the Bay Area, you know, we might see an increase in tech workers. Or...
1: I haven't seen any projections on income. Uh, I think it would be pretty speculative to do so. Um, I have seen some coming out of the state, but it, it's not terribly illuminating. Um, the uh, but I think that um, California is an extremely expensive state to live in. I mean, for a hundred thousand dollars, you can have a quarter acre of land and a five bedroom apartment, a five bedroom house in Atlanta or Charlottesville uh, or Charlottesville or Raleigh uh, or in uh, Chattanooga or in San Antonio. California is insanely expensive. Um, Increase. It also has an increasingly large immigration population. And I'm concerned statewide, this is just me on my soapbox, none of this is necessarily indicative of a position held by the county. I want to make that disclaimer. Increasingly, California is becoming a, a two-tier society. There's, there's the haves and the have-nots, and the middle class is rapidly dwindling. I suspect Napa, that's almost, Napa is almost an exaggerated form of that to some extent. Um, and I suspect that's just going to increase in the future. Um, uh, and, I, and I think that, that's certainly where the, the board has been focusing its policy. Affordable housing is a very important issue for the board. We already have a program now that helps uh, county employees get into to buy houses here. If, if you're if if you're a first-time home buyer and you work for Napa County and you want to live in Napa, we will um, loan you the the down payment and then get that taken out of the equity on the back end in order to help provide local housing for staff. Um, there are income limits. I didn't qualify for that, unfortunately. Um, And when we talk about building new affordable housing, the board really is not focused so much on the very low-income or low-income housing, which is what traditionally is thought of in urban areas. They're really looking at around median income housing because what the board is concerned about is, of course, we're concerned about poor people and and some of the challenges they face in trying to live in Napa. But the board is increasingly focused and concerned about the ability of teachers and policemen and um, nurses to be able to live and work in Napa. Because even they're getting priced out, and so really the board's efforts are focused on trying to save middle class and trying to keep it here to the extent possible.
6: Um, I also had a question. Um, it jumped out at me because I'm Hispanic, um, but uh, it's actually not surprising that the Hispanic population is increasing. So, uh, largely in the county, but um, I was wondering if there's any idea or what the board has in the in the needs that. That population need or the needs of the population, and what kind of opportunities that would create for the for the county. And on top of that, there's also the projection that even though we're having an increasing Hispanic population, um, we also have a decrease in the birth uh, the birth rates or the mm-hmm. from that same population. And if you mm-hmm. had any idea why that,
1: well, as, as 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 migrant populations, regardless of origin or nationality, uh. uh adapt to America, um, birth rates tend to drop. Um, and so uh, we see that across the board, um, partly because of the expense. It costs a lot more to have a large family, um, and uh, partly because there's more opportunities. Um, the, uh, um, so I, that isn't necessarily contradictory for me. I, you see that in, in uh, families from China, families from Vietnam, families from El Salvador, or Brazil, or whatever. It's pretty uniform. Um, the, um, uh, in terms of uh, what challenges are opportunities, I guess that's partly for you all. I, I don't know Napa Valley College's um, strengths and weaknesses. I don't know what your dreams and desires are for the future. What I'm pursuing is presenting information so that you can in, in, absorb that and figure out how the college is going to adapt to this changing landscape. Um, and, uh, you know, the uh, like I said, uh, The people who are going to be coming to college aren't probably aren't going to be like the people who are here now, and how is the college going to serve them, and also how are they going to attract them? Uh, And uh, I don't presume to give you advice that I'm not an educational consultant, but I'm just trying. uh, All I'm doing is trying to just describe some very broad parameters of what the future may look like. But I think that's really the work of uh, the board of trustees.
6: Thank you, Mr. Morris. Any
2: other questions?
0: Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very uh, much. We I all appreciate, appreciate your, your, attention. your uh, presentation. A lot of food for thought. I think there's somebody running off that you came with, or um, Michelle, come Michelle? back here. I so, <laughs> <laughs> hoping to sneak out. Oh, no,
1: my, no oh. Michelle's just here to keep me on the straight there she and narrow. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle's make sure I, I stay on the straight and narrow and don't wander too far.
0: Executive will. Director of the Napa <laughs> Wine Growers. Would you like to say anything about
1: You all heard that. I'm going to yes. yes. have that, that Yes. You're all witnesses. In the coming months, you may regret that statement. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you. Uh, you've been a very welcoming uh, group. I appreciate it very much. And, and if, if there's anything that uh, I can, uh, uh, any services I can provide in the future, please let me know.
0: And, and, and likewise, uh, it's not about me, but the, my background's in uh, heavy rail uh, as well as the wine business. So I'll, I'll send you an
1: email. Thank you.
2: So that uh, puts us into 6.0, the constituent group reports. And that's going to begin with the Academic Senate Report. And
0: Maria Villagomez, who's wife, mother, faculty, world traveler, TV personality, and on and on and Yikes. on. So We're happy to see you.
13: Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm Amanda Badgett tonight, um, and I have a report um, that she emailed me sometime today so that I can read this um, to you on her behalf. Good evening, board. On behalf of the faculty at Napa Valley College, I wish you all a happy new year. With the new semester underway, faculty are already busy in the classroom, in committee meetings, and happily engaged in adding students to their rosters using ad codes rather than the old, cumbersome ad cards. Many thanks to admissions and records for this update, which will save faculty, staff, and students' time and energy. Over the last several weeks, faculty have not been on campus but have remained busy and productive. Last week, on January 14th and 15th, the Doing What Matters CTE Curriculum Academy was held at Napa Valley Marriott. Napa Valley College was well represented. Diana Chabodi, who serves as technical assistant provider for Doing What Matters, was the local host facilitator of the event. Eric Shear presented a panel on learning outcomes, and in addition to our faculty and staff who attended the event, our VWT students and their wine were featured at a panel Thursday evening. Also over the break, it was announced that Napa Valley College's English instructor, Iris Dunkel, has been named Sonoma County's Poet Laureate for 2016 and 2017, We congratulate Iris on this honor. A faculty member not content to stay at home this break was Professor of Spanish Maria Villagomez, who had the opportunity to visit Cuba as part of a people-to-people cultural excursion through which she visited various regions to learn about Cuba's most popular community-based projects. The trip's highlight was meeting Ozzy Osbourne in Havana during the famous canon ceremony a public event that takes place at 9 p.m. every night at the city's fortress. Just kidding. The trip's highlight was learning directly from the Cuban people and their culture, about their culture, their history, their current situation, and their goals and aspirations. The college is indeed very fortunate to have all of these talented and hardworking faculty on staff. Finally, this Thursday, faculty participated this Tuesday faculty participated in flex day activities, which were focused on learning outcomes assessment. In the afternoon, faculty gathered and individual departments or programs were expected, per the agenda, to report out on assessment plans. Like our students, we weren't all willing to follow the directions, but the result was really very engaging, whether it was T.M. Madison's considering the merits of distance ed in speech communication and delivered with full oratorical flourish, or Sharon Gokis distinguishing different schools of philosophy through song. What was most apparent to those in the audience is that our faculty love to teach, and they love to talk about teaching. Indeed, interested faculty will meet periodically this term to talk about teaching, what works, what doesn't, what the challenges are in helping our students succeed without compromising rigor. I look forward to these conversations, and maybe Sharon will sing, too. Thank you.
2: Thank you
0: very much. The Administrative Confidential Senate Report, Chief Ken Arnold.
9: I just lost my report somewhere in this stack of papers.
4: Anyways, um, not so much of a report as we are starting the second uh, leadership class tomorrow, and we are excitingly or i'm I'm excited about it and looking forward to to bringing that to fruition. We have uh, nearly twenty people who are going to be participating through uh, all categories of folks and looking
2: forward to having that be a very successful adventure. Thank you very much. The associated students
0: of napa Valley college. Raphael Munzo, you are the uh, representative of Arts and Humanities, is
10: that Yes, I say? am. Thank you. Uh, I'm not Eleni Tam, our president. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so let's see. Prior to spring semester starting, ASNVC held a planning meeting on January 14th to best prepare for our upcoming goals. Uh, a lot of us came in even earlier than that, actually. Um, having winter break was kind of like not having winter break, <laughs> Uh, The second phase of new furniture has been installed into the Student Activity Center. This is phase two of five that our committee has selected per our arrangement with KI Furniture. Uh, Our Constitution and Bylaws Committee spent the greater part of the fall 2015 semester drafting a template for a um, payment evaluation rubric for student government uh, to possibly receive stipends, And uh, our template has evolved and is now in its final revision stage. All of our newest board members uh, received their hiring committee training uh, last December prior to the winter break. All Napa Valley College hiring committees currently have a student representative from ASNBC serving on them. Student government has also continued to assist with the welcome back tables uh, on the first two days of classes, which are yesterday and today. We offer several handouts, such as campus maps, emergency services, and information about open classes uh, and donuts and coffee. Uh, Five members of ASMVC will attend the administration leadership trainings that have been scheduled for the semester. As always, it is much appreciated to be included in these trainings. Thanks, Ken. And uh, let's see... (laughs) Sign-ups have begun for our Intramurals League. ASMC is hosting February through April. There is an air hockey league and a table tennis league. Bring it. Uh, Faculty, staff, and students are welcome to join. And uh, lastly, on a serious note, uh, the Office of Student Life has had a very troubling problem the last two weeks as our student worker, who serves much like our secretary, so to speak, Uh, was told she had to uh, stop working uh, very suddenly. She reached 90 units of completion, so her ability to do work study through financial aid was revoked. And usually there's a notice ahead of time to help you prepare and and, um, fill out a petition so that you can continue without much of a stop time in between. And uh, the problem is that she never received notice, uh, so um, it left her and our entire office scrambling to get her reinstated. Um, And, you know, it's the beginning of the semester, so there's a lot of work to be done. And lots of students lots of uh, heavy traffic coming through. I mean, you know, we are the Office of Student Life, uh, part of Student Services. It's a very uh, big resource. And um, her position and her contributions to our office are indispensable. And we're very glad that the issue has at least been temporarily resolved. Thank you.
11: Excuse me, Mr. Chair. Could you spell your name for me?
10: Oh, sure. R A F A E L, Rafael Monzo, M A N Z O.
11: um I worked the information table uh, the last two mornings, and uh, somebody was wanting to know how to get a hold of you. Do you have an email? Oh,
10: of course. Um, I can give you my business card if you like.
11: I would appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
10: <laughs> Classified Association
2: Report, Jan Sharp.
3: Good evening, Gordon. Happy New Year. Um, This has just been a busy two weeks for us getting back after winter break and getting caught up and everything done to support our students. And um, we have some things we're working on with the union. Um, The Supreme Court, you probably heard heard the Fredericks case, which is basically to abolish unions or have fee payers. So we are diligently working on that to try to stop that um, from happening. And we're also, um, starting this Saturday, many of us are going to a training on the Fight for 15 for Education, so we can help uplift wages and um, benefits for those who are in the K-12 through systems who make maybe 7 $8 an hour and only work a couple hours a day.
2: Thank you very much. Classified Senate Report, Christopher Farmer.
9: Hello board. Um, let's talk a little bit about science and STEM. Uh, if there, there is one group on campus, you know, looking towards the future is a great presentation that has continued to grow even as enrollments have declined. Sorry, I'm putting a little bit of research analyst hat on here. And that is our STEM field, particularly chemistry, physics, and engineering. We have more students moving into that, particularly uh, our Hispanic students, which their increase in the STEM fields has outpaced their increase within the school as a whole. Um, and I want to highlight one particular program that helps support STEM students, and that's MESA. I hope all of you are familiar with MESA, that's the Math Engineering. And science program they 're down in the dungeon underneath 1800, and if there is a beating heart of the Mesa program, it would be Mr. Rene Rubio, who is our employee of the month for January. He is a specialist down there. he uh, oversees and facilitates the whole area, he makes sure tutoring's going on, he gets students to campus visits in four years. He goes to retreats down in Santa Cruz with students sometimes and he um, is a mentor for Puente and does a lot to support that growing population of students who are in difficult classes and difficult majors. Uh, Rene has been here for 11 years, uh, started here as a young buck. Uh, he's a big-time Giants fan. If you ever want to go talk 80s baseball with someone, you should go look up Rene Rubio. So that's all I have for you, Renee Rubio, Employee of the Month for January.
0: Outstanding. We're... Hosted by other classifieds in the
2: other dungeon for overview of the IT. Appreciate your hospitality. Thank you very much. Oh, Diana, excuse me. Yeah, there she is. I I was
0: just... beating heart right there. Thank you very much. Uh, Faculty Association Report, Diana. So um,
14: just as a little aside to add on to... um, Maria's comments about the CTE event in, in Napa, the Marriott. Usually I have to leave town for those, but I got to stay home. Not quite as exciting as a trip to Cuba, but almost, right? <laughs> um, but I also wanted to say that Patty Morgan, I don't know if she's, there she, she actually also came and presented on financial aid. And there was a panel that included Paul from um, our winery program, and I would attempt to say his last name, but I would like that not to be recorded. (laughs) Because I can't pronounce it without looking at it.
15: Gospodarzik.
14: Thank you. Um, And Terry, two students, uh, Michael and Carolee was there um, taking pictures, another thing that's been added to her hat. Um, but it was actually, um, I was very proud of my um, colleagues from Napa in all areas, and um, it was um, it was like, oh, those are my people. So um, it was great. So all around, Patty and Eric and the panel, um, so it was very nice. And Ron actually came and stood off to the side. He didn't sit up on the stage, but he was there supporting his people, and that was actually really nice to, to see, and it generated... Um, actually, all three, Eric, Patty, and the panel generated some really good dialogue for us the next day. So, and just also to let you know that that event is associated with the work that I'm doing for the Doing What Matters for Jobs in the Economy with Vontan Quinlivan, our vice chancellor. So that's how that I'm connected with that. So, Anyway, on to the union. So we are back. You've heard we're all back. And usually we all think we're all ready and prepared. And then you have 30 people outside your door wanting to get in your classes which is great, except when you have to say there's no room. Um, But it um, was great to listen to our colleagues talk on Flex Day and to hear about some of the things that they're doing. We hope to spend some time um, having some deeper discussions. The association is um, looking forward to positive results from um, negotiations this spring, which we will get started back up on. And um, let's see, what else did I have? Um, That is about it. It's the second day. We are um, mainly just tired. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you very much. It was fun. Hopefully we got some uh, wine sales out of it, too. Yes, sir.
7: Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, the president's superintendent's report has four or five parts to it. And, I, and Bill's been very patient back there. So I think, Bill, if you're okay, would you, can I just advance your report so you can do it now? Or, you know, weigh in? Yeah. Great. And then I'll come back to mine.
2: Yeah, hi. I'm, I'm Bill Hardy, the president of the
16: College Foundation. I think most of us have met. Uh Thank you again for the opportunity to be here, and Happy New Year. The uh, first thing I wanted to mention is that, that we're, we still have a major initiative that we're promoting with the Foundation for a, a dramatic expansion and, uh, of the viticulture, uh, the VWT program generally. Uh, we have met a couple more times. We have uh, spoken with an architect. We're, we're trying to get some, some shape to this, physical and, and, uh, and legal shape to this, so that we can present it to this board and, and, uh, and discuss where we're going with this and, and, and uh, how it's going to be done. We envision uh, private funding for for most of this, and uh, uh, which I'm sure will not disappoint the, the board. But, the, uh, but we're, we're going to try to... Uh, uh, we have to get something physical to embody the idea, the concept, in order to start doing the fundraising. And obviously, people want to know... What it is they're giving to, and what the result will be of their of their large S. So uh, that's the next step. The next step is going to be to get some sort of drawing together, get a uh, a website, get a uh, a name for the uh, for the outfit, and then check with you folks to see where you are in it, and and uh, uh, get your approval if if possible, and and uh, get started. So who knows what's going to happen? But it's it's pretty exciting to get going, and and we've gotten tremendous feedback from people with whom I've spoken, uh, including the architects, and and uh, think that the idea that the that in Napa Valley College should have an expanded and, and and very visible presence in in the the wine community is uh, is a great idea, and a, and a fairly logical one. Uh, this last week, uh, I spoke at Rotary, uh, uh, thanks to uh, Kyle Iverson's uh, kind invitation, and, and uh, it was good. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly a rousing reception, but uh, I think it's always good to get out there and, and talk to people, and, and I'm certainly willing to do it anytime uh, someone doesn't physically throw me out of the room. And uh, the, uh, we're still working with, with, with Ben and his, and his group about uh, the student center, uh, we're going to make some contribution to that, and, and right now I, I think we're in the process of trying to figure out exactly what's left in the budget and what needs to be done and, and what ex- exactly that can be so that I can take it back to my board and we can figure out whether, whether and to what extent we can support it. pretty sure we can. Uh, and we are still planning an event for May, and uh, more about that uh, later. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. All right. Thank you, Dr. Kraft. For taking so much. Taking me out
2: of order.
7: <laughs> yeah, 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 Your leadership is um, fantastic and so well placed. You know the the, the foundation's um, efforts and the, the meetings and the the whole momentum has shifted, and I, I attribute that to your stellar uh, lawyerly like um, abilities. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> really, really
9: appreciate it. <laughs>
7: Thank you. Um, I would draw your attention to the President's Report, which is um, 7.1, and there's an overview. Um, There's a couple little pieces on here. First, I've started with administrative staff and personnel, and um, there's a picture of uh, of Bob there, our new Vice President of Administrative Services, and a a brief bio, and and wanted to welcome him, and, and we have already done that, and we're very excited about his starting February 1st, right? Is that? Yeah. And He was here today, meeting with his staff, um, in his future staff. I guess they were, they were, kind of familiarizing himself. He brings um, expertise in uh, accounting, finance, technology, and um, facilities. So um, he's a, a, a welcome, um, welcome addition, welcome. Um, a face out of the past and in current is Doug Ernst. Um, hi, Doug. I um, want you to step up to the podium real fast here. Doug, with our um, with Lissa leaving um, her role in the Office of Institutional Advancement, one of the hats that she wore was the Public Information Officer, which was never really you know fully even codified. Um, we reached out to uh, several people, created a um, kind of a scope of services for a, a consultative contract, and Doug uh, filled that bill and is coming in to join us on a part-time basis. Um, pending a a later search when we go out for a PIO, and um, his background is here. He's already hit the ground running, and and, um, why don't you say a a few words, if you will. Uh, Thank you, Dr.
4: Kraft, and and thank you to the board for giving me a few minutes, uh, maybe three or four minutes to talk about my past and what I hope to bring to the college. Uh, I'm a product of the California community college system. I graduated from Kenyatta Junior College. And uh, went on, transferred to San Jose State. Yay! Uh, got a journalism degree, bachelor's degree, and uh, became a newspaper editor in uh, gold country. Came to Napa in 78. I think uh, I think that was about four presidents ago. Um, you know, um, being a newspaper editor, publisher, has been a great experience for me. I got to know the community uh, but, you know, uh, mainly what I learned was the people. You know, the, I got to work with uh, city and county leaders like, you know, Joanne Busenbark. Um Got to endorse candidates for the college board and the president, like Diane Carey. Uh, was promoted to publisher up Valley, St. Elena and Calistoga, and got to know the good people like uh, Rafael Reyes. And, um, you know, I'm, I've been around I think uh, what I'm trying to tell you is uh, I know the community of Napa. But more than that, I know the college. Um, my, uh, my wife worked for several years at the Child Development Center. My four daughters all went and they took classes here. Uh, three of them transferred to uh, universities because they got this background here. Even I went to the SBDC, a graduate of the Business Development Center. So I have an intimate relationship with this college, and I'm proud of it, like I'm proud of the community. Um, Got involved in nonprofits. uh, I think I was on the board with Marianne Mancuso, uh, Napa Emergency Women's Services. So um, I believe in this college. Um, I've seen how it helps families. I've seen how it helps students find themselves, whether they're young or older, mature students. College helps people get back on track um some of them go on to four year institutions some of them get jobs by golly we have um succeeded we're doing the right thing here at this college um, my job the way i see it in the next few months is to tell those success stories is to be out in front with the community about the good work that you're doing you know the, and i'm not just talking about um you know administration but the staff you know i I see Oscar uh, inspiring guys like this uh, this young man, um, Alfredo, from the Up Valley campus. He's talking about Oscar and how, and I talked to the social services folks. I went to their staff meeting, and they're also caring and uh, really concerned about what happens to the students. Um, The professors, of course, are the key. There's some success stories in the teachers here, and I want to tell those stories. There are some success stories in the students themselves. You know, they, they go on and do wonderful things. I want to tell those stories and let the community see the good work you do. Maybe these students go on, they graduate, and they solve the problems that, that David Morrison was talking about. Maybe we can celebrate those success stories as we go through. Um, and I believe that if the community learns more about the college, the way I, I hope to do, uh, you'll have more engagement with the community. You'll have more resource development. As the college develops, these were local relationships. And you'll have more enrollment. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very
12: much. Hey, well, Doug, can I ask a quick question? First. You were talking about success of students, and often when I'm out doing whatever in the community, I'll run into somebody and they'll say, "I graduated from Napa Valley College, and now they're doing, like you said, some great thing, and they've gone on and continued their education." Uh, if we run into people like that and we're having those kind of conversations, how can how, should we get those names and that contact information to you?
4: Because those stories definitely need to be told. I'm at seven one two seven one one two, and um, you know I'm working there. Every day. Give me a call. Okay. Give me a chance to prove that I can do that. Thank you so
7: much. There's, Welcome aboard, Doug. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dougie. Um, a, a couple other, I've highlighted a couple other administrators here. Jerry Dunlap has joined us as associate dean, um, and um, I think many of faculty and staff, we, Was he was at the uh, Flex Day, I believe. I met him there as well. So he's... Um, a, a local um, have been involved in the uh, in the uh, high school um, Napa High School for what for since 1993 I think so uh, we're very excited to have him. He brings this good solid connection with um, with the local athletes and a, a deeper connection with um, with the community. So it's exciting, and I hope I didn't steal your thunder there, Terry. But just generally, um, the the rest um, of this section is some classified folks. I didn't have all the pictures that I could, that I could get, um, but, but I did manage to, um, to get to um, Kathy Peralta in Office of Institutional Advancement, Jovita de la Cruz in Child Care, um, Yasmin Lopez in Child Care, Maria de Joses Quevedo uh, in, in uh, Child Development, and Jasmine de la Cruz. And maybe I did that twice, no? Yeah. Yeah, is it mom and mom and daughter? Is that what it is? There, there we go. A family affair. Well, just what, just what Doug was talking about, I guess. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Duque and Andrew Cullen are other folks who have joined us. Um, we also have what we used to call mini-grants, but they're MVC professional development project grants provided through the foundation office. And this it provides multiple grants here. Um I'm assuming, because Rebecca told me that everybody was notified. So no. So these are the results of those. Um and um they're they're here posted for you and congratulations to those. They range from as you can see, a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, excuse me. My allergies are starting to kick up a little bit. And um Therefore, those kind of projects that normally faculty, faculty, administrators, or classified staff couldn't get another way and that they provide some training. So we're very excited about these, and and, um, I'm hoping, with a caveat now, (laughs) I was told these were all um, vetted out, so I'm hoping these are correct. If they're not, good. Thank you. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much. On the... uh, on the planning side of the of the ledger, I had a really interesting and great meeting with um, the city, um, and they went over their uh, Kennedy um, master plan, the park adjacent to the college. They're very excited about this. They spent about a year and a half working on um, working on this in detail. The skate park, which is open, is the, one of their first pieces. Um, they're going to qu- come over next um, next month in February and present a similar kind of presentation as we got tonight, talking about the connections. Um, it's a little more um, close to home because it literally, in, in some ways, Im- impacts the college. So as you can see just on this, this piece, there is, um, this is a broad, big, long-term um, series of master plan that they want to do over the next 20 years or so. And I guess what you're looking at from this side on, the, on your far left is um, the the fields and and soccer fields and interactive baseball fields all the way over to some green areas where that little arrow is? Um, if you can go to the next one down there, Carolee, just scroll down. This is Streblo Drive, which is one of our entrance, um, you know, the south entrance to the college. So as we, it, it, you know, from what I understanding in their planning, um, that gets widened. There's a lot of gardens that are happening there. Um, a pavilion for, for marriages, some um, bocce ball courts. Um, they really see this as a a beautiful, you know, entryway to the golf course that the college is, um, you know, also interested in doing things with and trying to get our sports teams over there. So it, it's quite an interesting piece, and I'm sure the college will be um, um, very involved in it. Matt Christensen has been our committee rep. With the master planning, and he'll also be here to talk about that as well, so it's quite exciting and um this is just kind of a precursor to that in in some pieces um The rest are, are some selected community events i i was uh, attended a lot of these things over the over the holidays and the last um the last month along with other um faculty staff and trustees and they're there for you to look at as well um Let me move along here to this next piece, um, we posted for you tonight the uh, strategic report. It's um, um, there for you. Doug is now preparing this. We've shortened it down, and we'll continue to shorten it down and, and use um, use the input from the faculty and staff to to let you know what's current. Let you know what's really uh, important, and um, and and generally, Doug, we just let the board read this. Um, if there's something that they need to to um, check out on or or um, view in depth, you know please feel free to to reach to reach out to doug and um, or the OIA office. Anything that you need to mention on this specifically, Doug, that um, just jumped out? Seven one one two there you go. I like that. okay um, let's let's move along to the vice president's reports then and and uh,
17: start with Oscar. Thank you. Um, one, of, one of the functions with, with the student services that, that we try to provide as much as possible, give, given our finances, is to be available in the evenings for, for our students. And so as a practice for the last few years, uh, we're open uh, for, for evening students on Tuesdays till, till 7 o'clock in the evening. And what we've done for the last few years, uh, uh, at the beginning of each semester, we're open till 7 o'clock. Uh, and it's primarily the, the, the key offices of, of uh, student government, in um, financial aid, counseling, and A&R. Uh, and, this, and, and we've also included our very good friends and our very great colleagues and our fantastic folks over there in the business office because it's very important that if a student is going to come in to register for, for classes and they need to pay for those classes, it's best to get their, you know, not to get their money, but it's, but it's good for them to have someone that's available to take their, their money so they can pay their classes. That way they, they don't get dropped. But we're, we're open uh, the, the first week prior to the semester starting, and we're open the first week of the semester. So every term uh, for, for two weeks, we're open until till 7 o'clock, those five key offices. And also during the school year, we're open uh, on, on Tuesdays until 7 o'clock. Uh, another thing, too, uh, R- Rafael sort of stole, stole my thunder, but uh, one of the objectives and goals that that student government has had for the last few years uh, through Ben's leadership is that he wants to expand the uh, the student life of our students here not life in terms of longevity but just in terms of activities and so uh, one of the things that they've come up with is that one you've seen the the, uh, the activity center and all the nice furniture there's a new set of furniture in there now that just came in but, but also now he's he, he's created these, these murals which is uh, something that we hope that students will, will engage in but more importantly we ask you as board members and staff and faculty to also take, take part in this so again the idea is to create more of a lively spirit uh, of a college environment here at the college. Um, thirdly, I want to thank every one of you who took part in, in, the, in the information tables. I know, Joanne, you were here both days, I believe, and, and student government members were, were part of that, that effort. It's very important for us uh, to, to ensure that we have the, the bodies present and the staff available to assist those students who may be confused or lost or who are here for the, for the first time here on this campus and having those information tables, initially we had three. We had one in the pack. We had one in the quad, um, here in the, uh, the quad area here behind us by, by the library, and then also one by the 1300 building. So we're trying to expand our invis- visibility to those students who may be walking on campus and not certain as to where they need to go. Uh, so thank you very much for all of you who, uh, who uh, took part in that. And then just one uh, small personal mi- milestone um, on January 16th, I, I, I reached my 10th year at, as being your vice president for student services. Thank you.
7: Congratulations. You let that slip by. Yeah, that's
15: a good thing. Terry? Thank you. Uh, okay, so actually my report got so much shorter as I sat and listened because I was going to talk to you about three things, FLEX, Uh, the CTE Curriculum Academy and enrollments and I could not have done a good job about flex as um, Maria did reading Amanda's report and between everyone who talked a little bit about the CTE um, conference uh, I think it was covered well I do want to thank all of those who were there to help help in that um, especially the two students uh, Yuri and Cameron and then Paul, um, obviously, because Paul was supposed to be out of town, actually, uh, during that time, and he was able to get back and do that for us. Um, and then Michael, of course. And, and Michael actually was a great part of that panel because he both could speak as a student, um, as someone who's connected with the industry, and then also as a uh, member of the Board of Trustees. So, so he, he could basically tell the tell story with three different hats on. Um, a, a big part of that too, though, was we were serving Napa Valley College wines, and people really appreciated that. That's probably why we had such great attendance at it, is because um, faculty never say no to free wine. Um, and so, oh. well, you're right. There were others there. There were, um, and, and so you know, it's kind of like chocolate and food. You know, if you if you have that, people will come. But, um, but, but I think the other part of the conversation, I mean, the, the panel conversation uh, lasted probably about 40 minutes. And, and, and we had a couple hours scheduled for that. And so there was a lot of networking and conversation that happened as people were mingling around and talking. And so I think that was really good. And, and I, and I think it was really good for this college to have had the presence that we did at that conference. And so um, I appreciate the help of the people that sat on that panel. Um, uh, and then the only thing I'll say in regard to Flex, because again, um, Maria said it great, but but i i was I was very pleased with the the amount of work that got done during that day, um, all the departments working on um, basically um, updating their SLOs and doing planning and talking about what works and talking about gaps, and the presentations that were done at the end of the day. Um, we're, were absolutely amazing, and and the, and it's that kind of conversation that we need to have more of. And so I will be working definitely with Academic Senate to, to be sure that we have more opportunities of that. Um, for the last part of my report, I'm going to give you some enrollment numbers, and you have uh, two handouts on your desk in front of you, and I'm going to go to the podium so that I can actually put them up and talk you through some numbers. Because... Because I spoke briefly at Flex and I was very blue and only talked and didn't do anything green and so so the board's gonna suffer tonight as I turn on my um my 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 green personality.
2: So Carol. Oh
8: sorry. Oh yeah, cool. Okay, so I actually I need the other
15: one. So so you have two handouts. Um, one is an Excel spreadsheet that's uh, shown on the screen right now um, that is full of numbers and it's very detailed. And so I'm, gonna, I'm only going to use this to talk about the top two tables on it. And then everything that's in the third table, which has a, a lot of things that we need to do, we're going to go to the one-page handout that you have because that basically has it in bullets so I can kind of walk you through it much easier. Um, the The top the top table, basically MVC goals for 2015-16, those show the FTS that we need to generate to reach our base, uh 5651.8, and growth that we could try to achieve uh, a little bit over 85, and then the total if we're, we're going after base and growth. Um, the next table down are our numbers as of this morning, and so that's based on the enrollment that we have. Um, as of this morning, we're, we are at 77.8% fill of, of our seats, basically, as of this morning, um, which I'm, I'm very encouraged, actually, because those numbers have been uh, going up at a pretty good rate. Um, and, and if we see something similar that we did last spring, last spring we increased our fill rate by a little bit over 4% during the two-week ad period. And and I believe that we can exceed that because faculty have ad codes now to give to their students instead of ad cards, and so it should be much easier. And that that especially, you know, I I believe that's good both for faculty to make it easier to add students, it's great for students to make it easier to add classes, and this is especially important in the distance ed classes because now those students don't have to find that teacher to get a signed ad card, they just have to talk to them via email to get an ad code. So... Um, thank you to Oscar and Jessica to make that happen. We started talking about that a while ago, and it's great that we finally have it um, going. So in this table, what you'll see are numbers for the four periods that are part of the, um, the 320 apportionment year. So it's late summer 15, uh, fall, spring 16, and early summer 16. The fall, the summer 15 and the fall 15 numbers are in the books. That's all done. There's nothing we can do about those. You can see at the bottom of that table in the bottom uh, row labeled total, the total number of FTS that we generated from those. Um, the amount of FTS that currently spring is generating is 2324. Um, that's based on our current enrollments, the 77.82% um, that I told you. But it's also assuming that students stay in those classes until census, um, because at that point they, we collect the apportionment from them. And for the positive attendance ones, labeled PAC as well as NC, so positive attendance credit and, and um, non-credit, to, for us to generate those numbers, the students actually have to stay in the class for the whole semester because positive attendance basically gets turned at the end. And so I'm not actually giving a hundred percent based on enrollment for those i'm giving seventy five percent because that is around what the average retention rate is for our positive attendance classes and so um, and, and so that could improve um, if we keep students in those classes longer um, and then summer numbers I'm giving you what we generated from last year's um, early summer so four four twenty three point eight six was the amount that summer fifteen. So if we do a similar summer and we have similar success, um, we would expect to earn that same amount. We, we have not built the summer schedule yet, so that's still um, kind of up in the air. And, and we're starting that. We're starting that process, so um, we'll, we'll see how that number might adjust. Based on those, in the little box below, it indicates that based on those numbers, we're 193 FTS short of achieving our base. So... What the next table is about is what we need to do to reach that number. And as I said, you can, you can look that in more detail, but if you flip to the, um, the one pager and can you do that, Carly? But I don't have to I didn't actually have to come here. OK. And so, so basically, um, we need to generate 29:41 FTS from spring 16 and early summer to achieve base. Um, As of this morning, I already told you, we're 77.82% full filled. Um, And based on our current uh, fill rate, we'll achieve that 23.24 for spring. So we need to achieve um, uh, 193 more. Okay, so I've just resummarized. We can do that if the following happen: If we achieve 82% fill, so in other words, go up from the 77.8 to 82%, That will generate approximately an additional 111 FTS. Um, That, I believe, is doable. That's higher than we reached last spring. But a couple of things. We have fewer seats this spring, so we're not to reach 82%. We don't need as many students. But the other thing is that that's based on how much we increased last year from the first day of class to the end of the ad period. And and it's actually lower than that amount. Um, And we have ad codes. Um, and so the other part of this is uh, bullet number two. The current late start classes are only currently filled at 49%. And, and so late start classes start anywhere from next week through eight weeks from now. And many of them include the new fast path Um, that we put together that are two uh, sequential eight weeks um, terms embedded within the spring semester. So clearly we have a lot of seats available in those classes and students don't have to be registered in those classes yet because they can register up until the day before those classes start. Um, I'm hoping we achieve 65% and actually I'm hoping we achieve higher than that. But if we achieve 65% of that, that will generate another another 30 FTS. Our our, Positive attendance credit courses are currently at 58 or 59%. If we reach 62% fill of those, that will generate a small 6% FTS, as long as we fill them and they stay. Um, Instruction Council is starting to look at adding late start classes. Um, I've done an analysis of the wait lists, and so um, as of uh, this morning, there were over 1,100 students on wait lists, um, there are obviously a lot of classes that have wait lists but but you see large nu- large numbers of those waitlists in um, uh, biology chemistry english uh, math speech and and health so those are the the, the ones that have the largest waitlists. and and so i 'm working with division chairs and deans to try to add late start classes in those as well as others that also have significant numbers that they believe they can they, they could Um, add classes. Um, The key here is a room and a teacher. And the hardest part of that actually is finding a a well-qualified instructor. And and all of those that I read off to you, that has been the issue that we've had in the past, that we could always add more of those classes if we could find qualified instructors to teach those classes. And so that will be basically the bottleneck And whether or not we can add those late start classes is whether or not we can find qualified instructors. If we add 12 in those areas, then that could generate um, as uh, approximately 40 more FTES. Um, if you add that all up, it comes to 187.32, and that would basically be about five short of base um, and, and so that's kind of a plus or minus thing because all of those are estimates. I, I'm not giving you 100% if we fill those classes. I'm, I'm giving you basically low percentage of fills um, because I'm a pessimist. And so, um, uh, and I want to be safe. I don't want uh, to overestimate. And, and so there is some leeway on this. Um, I think the important part of this is it's possible. Um, and so uh, I'll be working with Instruction Council. Uh, we'll be working with Doug um, in regard to marketing, and we'll be doing things that, uh, you know, obviously we can do to get more people in seats. Um, Other conversations that will be going on this spring are about ways to deal with this enrollment problem as we move into the future, Um, and some of the things that you will see that will be coming to you is curriculum in the non-credit area, um, CDCP non-credit, which also sometimes is referred to enhanced non-credit, um, starting this fiscal year, that form of non-credit is funded at the same rate as credit. Um, Napa Valley College has a very small proportion of that, but through the work that's happening in with the AB86-104 adult ed, um, uh, it has multiple names, um, and also through the Career Pathway Grants, uh, w- there will be a number of uh, non-credit programs that are coming out of that that could help. Um, the hope is that many of those will start being available to students starting in the fall. Because of the curriculum process, it will be difficult to get them much before that. Um, That's the career pathway part of CDCP. The other is is, uh, college preparedness, um, expanding our ESL program, expanding non-credit in the areas of math and English. And and so those are all conversations that will be happening with those three departments to try to find ways to expand on that. Um, Our ESL program should be much larger than it is. Um, we're going to be working with the Adult Ed uh, group on that because they also have uh, an, an interest in in that game um, and and so we'll be finding ways to reach out to the population in the valley that um, that, that need uh, ESL instruction um, and and then the other part of that and, and it comes out in many of the numbers that you saw earlier um, on the planning of the valley. But we've also talked about is the, it, that our demographics are changing, and, and the number of high school graduates is is decreasing, but the number of seniors in this valley are increasing. and so, so we need to find both credit and non-credit programs that can better serve that population. And, and so we're in conversations with a number of people in regard to that, um, and, and the hope is that we can start adding more curriculum that can help uh, serve that population as well. so that's what I have. If there are any qu- questions on any of that, I'd gladly glad to answer them.
11: Yes, go ahead, Joanne. Uh, what about the state hospital? I know there was some oh. conversation. That's a captive audience that, uh, inter- you know, well, anyway, what about the...
15: <laughs> so, yeah, COVID so thank, the- thank you for asking that. Uh, we actually are, are in conversation with the state hospital. I've been working with uh, Rebecca Scott. Um, and they are very interested in us offering classes there. Uh, their teaching facilities there are actually quite good. There are a number of models that we 're looking at of ways to do that and and so it 's our hope that we might be as early as summer definitely fall uh, be offering classes for students in the state hospital
11: yeah we 've been doing classes over there i don 't know when it stopped uh, but uh, continually on uh, on the forensic side But anyway that's Well and, and
15: there's huge interest throughout the state Actually there's been new legislation that has come To play that actually makes it easier For us to do that um, uh, and, and so um, the, the issue has always been open access. You know, how do you teach a class over there and make it open to others? Um, but the new legislation is going to help release some of those restrictions to make it easier. Um, and and so, um, so the stars are aligned right. Um, they have interest. We have interest. So we will be starting to work on that. Um, and, and as I'm saying that, I should also say also new legislation with concurrent enrollment that's going to allow us actually to increase our interactions with the K through 12. So, so even though that population is diminishing, we will continue in our efforts to improve the pipeline from the high schools, um, throughout the Valley to the college as well. And, and with the changes and the, the, basically the removal of a number of restrictions on concurrent enrollment, um, there, there are great opportunities in that as well. The
11: other, uh, uh, I, sit on the Senior Center Advisory Committee. And uh, the report came back to that committee that uh, Adult Ed, to the Unified, uh, there's been some change in their their fee structure, and so it's going to make it much more expensive for seniors that that have been taking classes from that. They were paying $100 a semester and could take any class that was being offered there, but that stopped. They're going to have to do it individual, and was and and I suggested that they come and uh, talk with us. And they said that well, anyway, that so that's yeah, definitely an option. But they uh, they went to the city recreation department. So anyway, I I said that I thought you know we had some uh, some interest. I don't know if you.
15: We well we are talking with a senior group and Ron. Do you know the name of the group off yeah, the top of your head? this is separate. It is separate. So I, I would like to get the contact information for you for the group that you're talking about. Um, so conversations about adult ed obviously are um, are are happening between uh, Napa Valley's adult ed program and the college through the adult ed. Um, uh, BG, I can't remember what the B stands for. So AB Bograt, um, is that right? Bograt. Yeah. Okay, Bograt. Um, and, and so, so, so we, we are talking about various things like that, but, but you're right, Joanne, that, that it actually does open up a window for us. Um, and, and, and obviously what the seniors would prefer are low-cost classes. Right. Um, so non-credit is the best option. Um, And and so – but we have to figure out how to do that in a way that that it's affordable for us as well. Um, And so part of that is looking at CDCP and are there ways that we can develop things for the senior population that can fall under the classification of CDCP. And the college has just acquired a great resource for me to figure out how to do that, sitting over there, because of Bob's experience um, running these programs in um, San Diego. Yeah, so that, I'm,
11: that, that college has incredible. They have an for, incredible
15: program there, and
11: yeah. disabled as well. Right. And right. Uh, just FYI, we have a higher percentage of disabled individuals in this county than the average statewide in, in terms of our population. And the same is true with seniors.
15: That's correct. Yes, and so that is, a, both of those groups are a huge part of our demographics. And those, number, and in those groups are both increasing in size, whereas where, I said before our K-12s are, are decreasing.
11: And having worked the tables this, uh, yesterday and today, what, what's the number we're canceling classes? That list seemed like
15: really long. That we were canceling? So you heard a little bit of conversation about that, not from me, but from others at your last board meeting. Um, There's been a lot of conversation about canceling classes. I did not add that to my report, but I've done some analysis um, over the winter break and the two years back, looking at the cost of canceling classes from the standpoint of FTS. Um, And then, So I've been working with Diane White and other members of Instruction Council, um in analyzing um the impact of that and and finding ways to mitigate that as well as finding ways to leave as many of those classes available to our students as possible because there's need for some of those classes even though they have low enrollments. Um, and and so basically um uh and I and I can provide it to anyone on the board who's interested. I have a worksheet that has Um, a breakdown of classes that have anywhere from zero to 15 students enrolled and the numbers of sections that had that and the impact of canceling those classes on FTS. Um, And then what I've done is I've reanalyzed that data and looked at various criteria that we have always used in protecting a low-enrolled class such as that they're concurrent they're concurrent. So, you know, you might have three classes all being taught at the same time and 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 one or two of them have, you know, two students or five students, but that's okay because it's really in a in a group that exceeds the 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 minimum number that we would cancel. Um, others are special classes like learns classes that, that, we, ha- that we have to offer um, uh, because they serve special needs students for special purposes. And some of them are for diagnostics. And so they're going to have low enrollments, but you have to have the ability to diagnose. So
11: what you're telling me is that there is no number.
15: There, there is, the, number the number is less than 10, but there's a long list of criteria that could save a class even if it had less than 10.
11: Okay, well, my, I, you know, the world I lived in at the time, you know, was 12. That was the magic number. So the fact you're below that, that's – because I looked at the – you know, they provided us with those up-to-date lists and uh,
15: – Right, and, and so, you know, part of the issue obviously is that if we keep those classes with such low enrollment, it, it impacts our productivity – um, and that's something that, you know, we need to work on. And so that's also part of the, you know, long-term planning of how, how, do, we, how do we fix this. Um, and, and, then, and then to keep those classes going also requires money. And so that's why Glenn is becoming my best friend. And, and, <laughs> and so, okay. so. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions?
2: Yes. yes.
12: So I have friends who are seniors. I don't know how that happened. But (laughs) they've taken classes here before. And so one thing you may want to consider uh, is that one of the things that I've heard is, of course, when people are taking classes who aren't necessarily looking to get a degree or whatever, they take a class, it's something they really enjoy, and maybe they want to go back and take that class again. Um, and so, I mean, and I've heard this from several people, and I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Is that something we'll reconsider? Because I understood that I, they weren't they weren't able to do
15: that. So um, that is part of our enrollment problem right now, is because there was legislation that I won't call current anymore. It was like five years ago, um, or four, I guess it wasn't five years ago. It was about four, three, three or four years ago. So, so basically, the the law of the land in California is one, and you're done. And so, um, you, you can't. There, we had a number of classes, especially in the areas of fine arts and physical education, that students would take m- many, many times. Um, and with the the updated legislation, that's not possible unless they meet certain criteria. And so, for example, one of the criteria is that they're uh, a, a a team sport and so but, but, even for those that meet a criteria the, you know four is the maximum number of repeats that they can have um and it even gets more complicated than that and i'm not and if you're interested Marianne, in knowing the further complications, um what they call families or uh courses with related um uh content um that I can explain that to you, but i I don't want to try to explain that right now um and so and so basically, the only way. That they could t- repeat classes if it's one of the classes that fit that criteria, or if they're non-credit classes. Um, um, but if, if, for example, they they love Ruse ceramic classes, they they can take they can take each of those classes once. There are multiple levels of those courses, and they could take um, they could take different levels of those courses, but with a maximum of four. Of those ceramic classes that all are related, and and then once once they reach that, then they can't take any more. They couldn't once they've done that. They could no longer take a ceramic class at Nav Valley College unless it's a non-credit ceramic class. And at this point, we don't have those. But that's part of the looking at how to serve um, the senior population is looking at ways to m- maybe have art classes that 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 we can do non-credit. So those are things we're looking at, but but as far as credit classes, um, it's it's one or you, and one and you're done. If you fail it, you can take it again.
6: Excuse me,
11: Terry. I was I was in Sacramento yesterday at the budget workshop, and that they mentioned that about the repeatability, and they said with the way money is, there's no way that they're gonna t- they're gonna pay for people to to repeat classes. So I mean, that 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 was the bottom line was the can money. Yeah. How many
2: times do you want? <laughs>
15: No, you you can what what is it Oscar? It's like you 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 can do it twice and then uh, to do it a third time you have to have uh you probably have to have my permission to take it again. So uh um and and so no no we do not encourage students no, to do that. We're trying to improve <laughs> we're trying to improve student success. So but
12: a non non credit direction is a possibility.
15: There's actually two possibilities. Um, number one is developing non-credit classes that could serve those needs, and those and those would be free to the student. Um, if they're regular non-credit, we get reduced funding from the state for those. If they're CDCP non-credit, then we get the same funding as credit. The other option that has been done by a few community colleges in the state, and the chancellor's office is currently looking at it, to provide guidance to the rest of the field, and my deans have already started looking at it, is basically teaching community ed classes in the... So, so you, you would put as concurrent classes or clustered classes a credit class and a community ed class. So if, you've, if you can no longer take ceramics, we would have a fee-based class that was the same class as that credit class, and students would be taking it at the same time the the key though is that it won't be free it it will be a couple hundred dollars um as compared to the 40 46 dollars a unit it'll be you know more like a couple hundred dollars per unit so okay. so th- those will cost but that would allow you to take it as many times as you want because the cost is borne by the student as opposed to the taxpayers of the state of California
13: Phil has a question I, i'm sure this is a real quick one um You mentioned that we don't have as many seats to fill this year. Why is that? We
15: we did not offer as many classes this spring as we offered last spring. That's the quick answer.
13: So, but you said that was, we don't have as much as far as percentage of the FTEs that we need. Um, So, if it's that easy, why do we offer so many classes that, you know, like last year, why did we offer so many classes? Because we
15: overspent our budget last year, and we, did, and we couldn't afford to do that again. We, we, did it, we did it last year. We purposely did it last year to try to achieve base and restoration. Last year it was called restoration. This year it's called growth. Um, and by doing that, we did that. And by doing that, we basically brought in about $980,000 more for last year, that will continue for as long as we can achieve our base. Our base, and so it. W- so we purposely tried not to um, spend as much money by scheduling by building a smaller schedule that we felt would be a, would be an efficient schedule that students would sign up, and we would we would achieve our base without the same number of courses. Um, the schedules we haven't done that, um, so the students haven't filled that. Um, the, the key is that you know when you think I'm saying 82 percent fill that that I would be really happy if we reach 82 percent. Um, that's that's a pretty low fill rate. If you're looking up and down the state, um, you know, especially colleges. Obviously, it's different in in the metropolitan areas. But if you look in the metropolitan area, I'm sure in San Diego, they're, they're closer to 90 percent. I know. I know um, in North Orange County um, at this point in the schedule, um, the fill rate would be 98% and there would be 12,000 students on the wait list. And, and so, um, so our, our, our demographic is different, our dynamic is different. And, and so um, the fact that I'm going to have 18% of my seats still vacant means that we have enough seats, but clearly they're not in the right classes because I have a wait list and and so and so part of what we have to do is 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 continue to shift wh- where we put those seats um and and part of that issue as i already mentioned is having adequate faculty in those areas
17: thank you any other
2: questions thank you before we move on is, uh, do we need to take a break uh, do I need approval for minutes to take a break, or can we have moved?
15: I have a change to the minutes.
2: What
0: would you like to Act. do, Rafael?
13: At um, item uh, 14.1, the second to the last paragraph should reflect that I voted for Michael Baldi.
2: That's important. Yes. I have a couple changes
5: as well to 12.0. I emailed these earlier. Um, let's see. So it's a little bit complicated. but um, Can we slow down just a little oh, yeah. bit?
11: Because it's going to be complicated,
5: I think. <laughs> Second paragraph
2: of 12.0. Um, let's see, where is it? Oh, you're...
5: Okay, so um, yeah, the second paragraph, the first sentence, I just wanted it added. Um, so, Ms. Martinson inquired about two payments on the check register of $48,000 each. I, I would like the amount added to the minutes.
2: To Adamson Police Products. I don't know if it matters, but actually, one was um, one payment was this month,
5: and one was the previous month. So, if it was actually really going to be accurate, it would be one from December and one from November. But mainly, I'd like the amount of
2: forty-eight thousand dollars each. You ready for the second one? Um, so the second one. Um, is, uh, let's see, it's in the sixth paragraph.
5: Actually, it's right there. There's one of them right there. Ms. Martinson requested that Dr. Juny, I, I didn't actually re- request that. So to be accurate, what I, what I requested was that I, I wanted to know if they were purchasing and using lead bullets. I didn't ask for like an environmental impact report or anything. I just wanted to know if they were using uh buying and using lead
2: bullets. And then the last one is in a sixth paragraph.
5: Oh, um, right there. Let's see. About the EMSI contract, that paragraph. If you could
2: scroll up a little bit.
5: Okay. Um yeah, because this totally got wrong what I what I was saying. Um, so I don't know how to correct this, but I gave you a whole new sentence. So um let's see. I said I would support the sent the part that says what I would support. Um Tell me what, okay. What so I said I would support a labor market study if it was being used to determine how we could better serve students and the community in terms of um, career technical education rather than doing a study to show how we're already benefiting the community. That's basically what I said. So, um, yeah, I said I would support a labor market study if it was being used to determine how we could better serve the community
2: in terms of career tech versus studying how we're already benefiting the community. That's it. Yeah. Any other changes, recommendations? Dan, you had
0: a motion? Does that still hold? Looking for a second? Second. It's been moved and properly seconded. All those in favor
2: signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Gabriel. Yes. Turn, Turn your mic
15: on. Aye.
0: 9.2 District Auxiliary Services Foundation, Information and Discussion. Why don't we take a, a five-minute break until 8.30? Note to Mr. Parker, this is typically how things run. I, I think we're moving along quite nicely. Uh, we should be out here by
2: 11.30 or so.